Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. The more you ship, the more you save. With Canada Post Solutions for Small Business, we'll reward your repeat business with automatic savings. Visit CanadaPost.ca forward slash small business to see how you can start saving up to 34% on shipping in Canada. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. We're thrilled to have Dr. James Bowen, investor and entrepreneur, on the show today. After founding his first startup at age 21, James has co-founded four startups, is an author of five books, and is an inventor, a professor at 12 universities, an advisor, and also an angel investor of several startups and a community activist. He's also active on social media with his podcasts and blog articles. His vision helped inspire the Startup Canada Awards and is now on to his next initiative, getting everyone involved in investing and benefiting from long-term view of emerging and growth-oriented innovations. His new book, Frontrunner Investing, is the starting point for this conversation. Available now. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks, Matt. It's, I'm glad to be here, and uh, thank you for inviting me. And we're just as happy to have you here as well. Thank you. All right, James. So before we dive into our conversation today, what's the top thing you want entrepreneurs to take away? The top thing that I think entrepreneurs need to be considering as they go into 2020 and beyond is really to develop long-term thinking around opportunity discovery. We're finding that some of the startups that I've been looking at, they are derivatives or they don't have the long-term perspective or and trying to find the opportunities that are able to differentiate them on a global market. All right. And kind of, you know, building from there and, and really starting and implementing these best practices and long-term mindset from day one, what's your best advice to entrepreneurs who are just starting up? What do you think some of the most important things to consider are? and complete before you launch the company? They should really be thinking about time and community support and how those factors, those two factors can help supplement funding. We need funding to do our startup, but in some cases there are alternative paths. 
for example, by linking with people in the community who can help find first customers and partners. And let me expand on that and give you four important things rather than just three. Four important things that entrepreneurs need to think about or to have in place as they put their startup out there is, one, is that talent is adaptable. They need to find individuals who can evolve as the company's business model evolves. Two, they need to find funding that is patient and long-term. They need to find funding that will be there with them for five to 10 years. Three, they need to have a metric structure in place that tells them when it's time to change what they're doing. We, we need to have that ability to pivot, but in order to have that ability to pivot, we need to know when it's time to pivot. As well, we need an understanding of the assumptions that are in our plan and how we're going to test those. We need to have a test plan for each one of our assumptions. And, and as we get further into this podcast, I'd like to talk about assumptions and risk in more detail. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, that question of risk is, is really something that kind of leads well into my next question as well, which would be, um, what's your advice to entrepreneurs who are just starting to build their team when they've got to a point where they feel like, okay, you know, I have these roles carved out within the company. I know what I'm best at, but we need to start bringing on more people. What would you say the most important things entrepreneurs need to consider are when trying to bring on those first few staff members and how to mitigate the risks that can come with uh, starting a new business, bringing on new people? They need to understand that a startup's needs, its talent needs, the people that it needs changes over time. So they've got to have a compensation and a share structure that give them that flexibility to be able to change the team and change the level of contribution that each team member is making over time. That can't be hardwired at the start. That needs to have that ability to adapt. If the business is going to adapt, the business model is going to adapt, then we may need to see the talent adapt. And and we can't have a share structure or an organizational structure that is hard-coded. The other thing that beyond that adaptability of the team is we also need to consider the ethics of the team. There's going to be, as the organization evolves, temptations to perhaps take shortcuts, or there might be situations in which team members are working independently and autonomously, and we need to have that values and ethical structure in place. The next one is motivation. We need to have a team that is motivated beyond the money There's sometimes too much discussion out there about how we're all going to be rich tomorrow. One, we don't always get rich tomorrow. It can take years to uh, take place, if ever. And two, even more significantly, the team needs to be there because they want to make a difference. Just being motivated by money, particularly money that may not come immediately, after a while that team is going to fade. Their interests are going to fade when they're not going to see money coming on the table. So... The most important things from my perspective are that since the team needs to adapt and evolve over time, we can't hard code into our compensation structure or share structure. We need to have ethics and we also need to be um, cognitive of the motivation of the team itself and the team needs to be motivated beyond money. Mm. So it's it's really a holistic approach to... uh to this kind of like culture share, value share, and goal share between uh, founders, employees. Yes, and some of that will change over time. 
the motivation may change over time and the talent required may change over time, but the ethics should not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what do you think the, the best advice for really setting those kind of ethics and those, those principles in stone would be? How do, how, do you, how do you have those conversations with the founding team? How do you really work out like this is, these are the commandments of this organization. This is what we live and die by. I would think that the ethics and the values start even before the vision and the mission statement. That the, the team, when they first come together and they're trying to figure out what the opportunity that, that they're going to pursue is, is they need to write that out and say that these are the kinds of things that we find acceptable and these are the kinds of things we won't. Because that's going to drive the kinds of opportunities and the way the opportunity is implemented. For example, we're seeing issues these days with vaping out there. And the original thought from some of the founders of the vaping companies was that they were going to transition the world away from cigarettes. But we're also seeing some very significant neg negative impacts from vaping. So they, you know, we got to go back to first principles and those first principles have to be the ethics and the values of the organization before we go into vision and mission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think you're exactly right that those are things that you need to, uh, you need to set and and really set in as firmly as you possibly can before the ship even leaves the dock. Yes. Otherwise, once the ship is uh, left the dock, then you're both reactive and trying to fit into an organizational structure that's already been developed. You're trying to retrofit the ethics in, which which isn't a which isn't a good approach because they won't be fully infused throughout the organization when you try and retrofit things. Right. Right. Well, on the note of new journeys. Um, can you tell us about your next initiative? I understand you're writing a book. Absolutely. If uh, if I go back to the days in which the vision around the Startup Awards was uh, developed, the Startup Awards were envisaged as a way to bring the community support more to the forefront. What we saw there was that recognition of individuals for their contribution to the community was a way to encourage that. Now, with the awards being merged with the Manning Awards to provide a, a, a much bigger perspective around the life cycle, everything from innovation to entrepreneurship. I'm starting to think in terms of what's after that. And what I see after that is aligned with my earlier comment around having a long-term view of investment, opportunity discovery. So what I'm trying to do is, is put into place an initiative to really improve the financial or investment literacy of individuals across the country, while at the same time, distributing the benefits of, of uh, investing in growth to everyone. I'm trying to see whether we can get everyone involved in helping fund or helping invest and helping benefit from long-term innovative opportunities that are realized through entrepreneurship. So. It's really an initiative to try and get everyone involved in that long-term uh, investing in growth and innovative opportunities. It's, it's to bring people together to share ideas around new ways to grow our financial well-being. So it's starting off with a book, which was uh, launched in the beginning of January 2020, and then grow that into a discussion site in which people can participate around discussions of what are long-term opportunities. And I see that as both a way for the individual to benefit from the innovative economy that we're growing, also 
for entrepreneurs to see some of the thoughts around long-term opportunities that are out there and help structure their thinking around opportunity discovery. What, in your opinion, um, after, you know, again, having having written this book and uh, doing this dive on really long-term uh, long-term opportunities that exist in Canada that that come from uh, the come and flow from the spring of innovation what do you think uh, kind of the, the the biggest parts of this long-term view uh, what do you think the general public and and Canadians in general are are missing I think what Canadians in general are, are missing is the value of time opportunities take time to implement innovation takes time to happen and some individuals have a very short-term perspective. They expect that, you know, we're going to do a SaaS company, we're going to do a company, and it's, you know, we're all be, going to be rich this week. So we started on Monday, and by Friday, we're, we're all rich. Typically, that doesn't happen. There are examples out there where that has happened, but on average, it doesn't happen. It takes time. So we need to shift our thinking more long-term. We need to see the value of innovation and start changing the discussion around how is this going to pay off for the entrepreneur, for society, and for the individual over the next five to 10 years? We can't continue just with the mentality that all the benefits are going to accrue to the founders, co-founders, and the employees of the startup. In order to go to, let's call it innovation and entrepreneurship 2.0, we got to bring in everyone. Everyone has got to see the value of participating in, in an innovative entrepreneurial economy. And that means taking the conversation out of just the entrepreneurial innovative communi uh, communities and having the average person, the average individual, the average citizen involved in the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think my question there is, what would you say the, the target audience for this book is? I know you spent a lot of time talking about, uh, about the average Canadian and the average individual as well, but for myself, I would wonder if you think that these principles would extend to some of the larger industry in Canada and uh, and really trying to open up the eyes of um, really just the, the titans of industry that exist for like, you know, for example, take the tech field, for example, if there's innovation that exists on a entrepreneurial and ground level, um, would this book be geared towards uh, turning the heads of those in uh, and the giants of industry towards exploring innovation and exploring and investing in innovation and entrepreneurship in Canada as a way to uh, optimize, you know, the, the kind of structures that exist currently. Yes, that's one of the gaps that I see in, in our entrepreneurial innovation communities is that we still don't have the larger organizations involved. They are doing innovation internally. They are looking to startups, perhaps to acquire them as a way of getting innovation in. But we still don't see the large anchor companies participating in the go-to-market and the opportunity discovery and instilling this long-term thinking in a startup environment. We still don't see the kind of partnership that we really should be seeing with the larger companies providing that spark and that connection to growth that the smaller startups have. So this book for the uh, individuals in the larger companies might also start changing their thinking to do, to participate in the startup innovation community from a longer term perspective. Mm -hmm. And we've we've been discussing this a little bit uh, over the past two questions, and I, I want to kind of crystallize your thoughts now on what you think the future of entrepreneurship in Canada will look like. 
What, in your opinion, uh, is the progress you've seen being made over your career as an entrepreneur and an investor? And what do you think uh, some of those gaps that still need to be addressed are? One of the gaps I just mentioned was the gap around involvement mm -hmm. of the anchor companies. But I see that the future has for Canada in terms of uh, entrepreneurship and innovation still has uncertainty or headwinds. As more countries pivot to entrepreneurship, it's going to be more difficult to be successful on the global stage. From my travels around the world, what I'm seeing is that countries and universities all over the world, I was in Eastern Europe a while back, and they've now got an MBA on entrepreneurship. It just started in 2018 in the Baltics. So as more and more countries pivot to seeing entrepreneurship and innovation as the engines of growth and the way to have income equality between you know, the, the established elites and those who are trying to do startups, as, as they're seeing this as a solution, we're gonna see more pivoting to entrepreneurship and it's gonna make it more difficult for startups. Over the last decade, we have seen universities and college provide motivated and knowledgeable people. We have seen the investing in atmosphere improve. There's more angel investment and venture capital companies uh, providing um, startup funding. We've seen startup competitions flourish. There are many more competitions out there for entrepreneurs to horn their skills in terms of their pitches. We've seen support groups such as uh, incubators and Startup Canada and, and even the podcast that you're doing. We've seen those come about. We've seen some big companies act as supporters of Startup Canada. And uh, those are they're supporting many of the startup awards as well as many of the initiatives that Startup Canada is doing. But we still see these gaps. We see gaps around the anchor companies, we see still an issue in, in my mind around that the community is still closed to some extent, closed in that what's happening within the community is not being communicated to the larger population. We need to have the individual citizen involved. We need to see so that everyone can have the benefit of what's happening in the innovation and entrepreneurial space and get involved in it. Mm -hmm. And and in terms of bringing this this larger awareness, I mean, like this is it, it's obviously one of the one of the kind of key messages that you have implemented in the book that you're distributing as well. Um, but what I would I, I guess I would uh, I would want to know as you know, how do you think this can be packaged uh, to gain you know the the maximum impact and the maximum kind of result. Uh, to bring in this to audiences, what what do you think the the methods that need to be implemented to reach these audiences and to really, you know, what's what do you think that one selling line is that will make people kind of tune in and say, hey, this is this is what we need. This is what we need to do. There's, I think, there's two selling lines there. One is the sense of urgency that if we don't do something now, that we're going to be left behind. But the other one is relevancy. People need to see that it's going to directly impact them. So the urgency and relevancy to me are usually the two key motivators that get people engaged. If they're not seeing that this needs to be acted now and they're not seeing it's going to directly impact them in some way, then they lose, you know, they lose uh, engagement, they lose motivation. So th those are the, 
the two key things that we need to focus on is is bringing everyone involved and and ensuring that they see a benefit from the entrepreneurial innovation communities mm-hmm. flourishing. And do you think that, uh, like, again, because small business really is really is a backbone of the Canadian economy, and, and do you think that there are enough people that are aware of just what the scale of small business is in Canada, of what the scale of entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship in Canada is? I don't think so. If we look at the last election that took place, uh, as far as I could see, it was not even mentioned. Mm. So I would say that it's not, a, it's not something that's topical in people's mind at all. They don't see the benefit of small business. They don't see how entrepreneurship is changing both society and the economy and providing opportunities and providing not only opportunities for everyone, but sustainability for the economy. Mm And in terms of uh, in terms of this these trends of sustainability and these trends of opportunity, where specifically in fields of entrepreneurship do you think that some of the greatest potential exists for like the demonstration of really what the true value of entrepreneurship to this country is? I think some of the issues that we have with the entrepreneur is um, going global, and I think the value that we we need to show to individuals is how this improves their lives. Entrepreneurship is all about taking a problem and then solving it. So there are many problems coming into society that we need to deal with. We need have huge problems around health, uh, for example, obes- obesity, the uh, vaping. We have huge problems around climate change and there are many solutions being attempted in different areas. We have problems around losses of job to automation. We have uh, problems around you know jobs being outsourced to other countries, so the very economy itself is um, being changed. People are worried about the health, the environment, their job income, and even if we t- just take those three factors, entrepreneurship provides solutions for them. They provide not only opportunities for those directly involved, but they also provide solutions to solving some of these uh, both economic and society issues. And I I feel like um, kind of one of the topics that uh, that does typically come up when you have these large societal problems like, I mean, climate change is probably the biggest and best example, I would say, currently of it, where it's like um, it's it's often it can often feel like on an individual level, you know, what what can you really do about it? And yet through entrepreneurship and, and through examples of um, of different companies and, and startups that do and work towards providing these, you know, innovative solutions that really are just, you know, doing their bit to hack away at, at this largest problem. I would ask you to provide, if you can, um, some examples of companies that you think are really like, you know, beacons of showing how like entrepreneurship can, even in a small way, even in some small way dedicated to, uh, you know, the specific scope or field that they're in, this innovation and the effort that's put towards this innovation really does contribute to solving these larger scale problems that often people feel like, well, what can we even do about them? Well, let me uh, do that in two parts. One, individuals can help by voicing their concern about an issue. Once entrepreneurs get a sense that there is a problem out there that needs to be solved and that people are supportive of it, then inevitably they come up with a solution. So what we as individuals can do is start voicing our concern about these issues, that these are things that need to be changed. 
and the entrepreneurs hear this, innovators hear this, and they will start to come up with solutions. For example, we're having issues as the economy changes of leaving people behind. You know, jobs are being outsourced. People are moving down in terms of the uh, kind of income that they can obtain through their jobs. Along comes the gig economy. And the gig economy is providing people with ways in which they can make money and they can level the playing field between themselves and the big players. Let me just do two examples. Shopify, for example. Shopify is gives the opportunity for the average individual to sell something online. We don't need to uh, compete against the big players with their large infrastructure and resources. We can go online and become a merchant ourselves. In a similar light is, of course, Ruckify. And Ruckify provides the uh, average individual the opportunity to earn income off of their existing assets. So if you have a canoe, if you have a chainsaw, you can rent that to other individuals. So we see the issue in society of individuals who are facing maybe income uncertainty or they're seeing their income decline over time. We hear that and the solution comes. The solution comes of creating gig economy opportunities for the average individual. So the average individual needs to help spark that by voicing as loud as they can, we need these problems solved. Entrepreneurs and innovators hear that and they will come up with a solution. And this is where you see that there needs to be a meeting of the minds in the middle for this kind of long-term view of innovation and long-term investment in innovation. Is that correct? Yes. We need to have the average individual take these long-term perspectives and put their money into solving these problems. They not only benefit that personally, but society and the economy as a whole benefits it. The more money that we can get to solving problems, either on the innovation on, or on the startup side, Canada as a whole will benefit from this, both at the individual level and at the society level. Mm-hmm. James, as we're nearing the end of our, of our conversation here, and uh, given everything that we've talked about, um, what do you think the most tangible takeaway for entrepreneurs from our conversation would be? What do you think entrepreneurs can walk away and implement in their business today? I think the shift to more of a long-term discovery process, and let me just elaborate on what I mean by that just for a brief moment. And for long-term discovery, what I'm seeing out there is that many startup ideas are really derivatives of other ideas. Um, I'm seeing people who either have a derivative or will start a company in which they've got a few customers, but it's not really scalable. They've got one or two customers that they've got from their network or from their local region, and they think they've got an idea that's going to scale. And when I look at those, I see they're they're just simply not going to scale. They're derivatives. They're too easy to copy. Everyone else in the world is thinking the same idea. We need to shift that. We need to have the discovery process to find those opportunities that are scalable and that will compete on the world stage. And so we need some work there. For the average entrepreneur, what I'm suggesting is listen to the voice of the people. Find where those problems are that they're talking about. And you don't have to go too far to find those. In the popular media and social media, people are voicing where they need solutions. That's where we need to start thinking. 
Mm. James, thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your experience, your expertise, your wisdom. Um, I'm looking forward to reading the book. Certainly am. Um, and if people want to get in touch with you, if people want to reach you and uh, kind of pick your brain or or just uh, come come to you with these problems um, and say, like, where do I go to find a solution for this? Or I'm working on a solution for this. What would you suggest I do? How could they get in touch with you? I'm always available on LinkedIn. The book is frontrunnerinvesting.com. That's uh, frontrunnerinvesting.com. And what I'm giving to everyone right now is a call to action. Get the book, join the conversation, let's shape the future and make sure that everyone benefits from it. The book is available on Amazon and I'm also, I can be found on LinkedIn as well. Everyone benefits when we all invest in the future and we need everyone involved. We need everyone to benefit. We need everyone to see that they're gonna realize something out of this. So, so let's go long-term and let's get everyone involved. Well, James, it's been a pleasure having you today, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on Startup Chats as always. Thanks, Matt, and I enjoy those conversations. Take care, James. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern.